Hello and welcome to Not If I Reboot You First, the podcast that takes our favorite properties and reboots them before we get it. Hollywood gets the chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction. I'm Lindsay and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Tanner, they, them, and we are joined by a special guest this week. Uh, she is most known for being caught in a space love triangle and turning <laughs> opinion into cold hard fact. It is Annie. Hi, I'm Annie Creighton, I use she, her pronouns. <laughs> So, Annie, what have you brought to us today? Uh, well, as a, a quick check, I guess, uh, what's our what's our uh, content rating here on uh, on cuss words? Explicit. We're, we're a cussing podcast because Lindsay can't not swear. Perfect. <laughs> okay. In that case, uh, as someone who has built an internet brand, uh, at least partially on being a monster fucker uh, or been <laughs> yes. polite company monster romance aficionado, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> uh i have brought forth the formative piece of media for me beauty and the beast uh which you know we'll be talking about like the the disney version uh and the very bad disney version um but i also <laughs> a couple of years ago went through uh for a personal project and read a whole bunch of the original stories so we'll sort of be looking at the actual myth slash fairy tale structure of that uh original story as well Ooh, nice yes and now I have to ask, is this at all related to the fact that High School Musical, the musical, the series, is doing Beauty and the Beast this season? Oh, no, is it? <laughs> it is. Oh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> no, that's a, that, that's a happy coincidence? It's great for our <laughs> metrics. There you go. <laughs> some, some podcasts care about metrics. Others, like mine, actively avoid them at all costs. And that worked out so well for you. Except when Venom decides to announce their 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 sequel uh, and do us dirty right when we come out with an episode about Venom. <laughs> so, well, yes. So, what, where, where do we start with Beauty and the Beast? I feel like our listeners are pretty familiar with Beauty and her Beast. It is a tale as old as time, uh, as I understand it. <laughs> um, Song as old as rhyme, with so many versions. I'm barely even friends. <laughs> I'll, I'll be here all day. I, I would probably break out on a song at some point. I watched Beauty and the Beast a lot. Uh, and also, as, as someone who really enjoys, like, uh, musicals and animation, Howard Ashman, who uh, wrote all of the songs, basically got to do Beauty and the Beast uh, because he had to fight tooth and nail to convince Disney that, uh, like, the Little Mermaid was a good idea and like mm -hmm. that the Little Mermaid actually needed like theatrical musical structure, like having an I want song. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like he had to actually convince them that that was a good idea. Uh, so when uh, Howard Ashman, who sadly uh, contracted AIDS during the production of uh, The Little Mermaid, uh, when The Little Mermaid was a huge success and, our, and Howard Ashman knew his days were unfortunately numbered, Disney said, basically, let's do Beauty and the Beast. You do whatever you want. And he made that. And it's good. It's very, very good. There's a reason it was the first animated film to get a Best Picture nomination. It's a and good awards mean movie. nothing except <laughs> Awards mean nothing except when the thing I like wins them. Yes, that is very true. Otherwise, the mm -hmm. Academy is completely morally and creatively bankrupt. 99% of the time. Yeah. Yes. Um, so Beauty and the Beast, like, everyone's probably familiar with the Disney movie version, so I'll kind of skip that. But uh, the gist of the story 
uh, it changes a lot because lots of people like to do Beauty and the Beast stories uh, because, you know, it's it's not what's on the outside, but the inside that counts. But that's a different Disney movie. Uh, but the beats of the Beauty and the Beast fairy tale uh, are it's an old French story. It's several hundred years old. Uh, but the variations usually follow this pattern. We start out with a well-to-do merchant. Uh, who falls on some hard times. He has some ships that sail over to the Americas, typically. Uh, they all just are lost at sea. He loses everything. So he and his one to three to six children move out into the, uh, just the, the, into the, into the wilderness where all the poors live. And everything's terrible because they're poor and they don't expect that. <laughs> <laughs> um, usually the, the youngest daughter is Beauty. Uh, typically she has two older sisters who are mean, jealous bitches. That usually sticks around. Sometimes she has three nondescript older brothers who are just also there. Uh, mm -hmm. eventually the merchant just fi finds out that, uh, his three, that, uh, one of his ships has returned. So he takes a risk. Uh, he asks all of his kids, what do you want me to bring back for me? Because clearly we're going to get some money back. Uh, everyone asks for precious jewels and gemstones and dresses and beautiful things and beauty who is the uh requisite you know prim perfect lovely child just ask for a rose papa <laughs> so the merchant goes back typically speaking uh the ship was actually full of crap there is nothing that he can uh get from that except for like a little bit of money that he immediately spends on presents if there are any presents at all on the way back, he gets lost in a storm in the middle of winter, finds himself at a strange manse in the middle of the woods, uh, where he discovers that all of his needs are being met by invisible servants. Things just appear for him. There's beautiful, uh, there's beautiful rooms, food, everything. All of his desires are being met. He stays the night. He leaves the next morning, but not before going into this beautiful garden where there are, what do you know, roses blooming in the middle of winter. He cuts one. And the master of the mats, an enormous beast, who is some kind of animal guy. Everybody does different illustrations. One of them, he has like an elephant trunk, I guess? I haven't seen that one. I've definitely seen a lot of deers. There are a lot of deer, yeah. Uh, the the uh, Disney version actually went into like a combination of like a gorilla and like a water buffalo and like a bison was a big influence in there and like a wolf and like a bunch of shit. Mm -hmm. But the master mm -hmm. of the castle is like, I gave you everything, and you steal from me? You kick me yet? <laughs> Jail for Papa! Jail for a thousand years! <laughs> Instead, he basically makes a deal that uh, you will bring me your loveliest daughter, your, your, in exchange, and you will live, and she will be well provided for, and the merchant agrees, comes home, gives the presents, gives a rose, and Beauty, who is pure and good and, and everything that is wonderful with the world, says, of course, Papa, I will go. <laughs> they make the exchange. Beauty wanders around in a castle for, like, I don't know, like, weeks? With nothing to do except to wander around day to day, be waited on by invisible servants, have lovely lavish dresses. The only downside is that every night she has to eat dinner with the Beast, who asks her to marry him, and she says no, and the conversation is really boring and awkward besides that. 
until eventually <laughs> she decides, well, I guess he's not so bad, especially when he has this like enchanted mirror where she can see anything. So, you know, that's probably fine. Eventually, she finds out that either one of her sisters is being married or her father is ill. And she's like, oh, I miss my family. P- uh, not Papa. I miss Papa. And the Beast is like, all right, you can go visit them, but you got to come back in this set amount of time. And if you don't, I'm just going to drop down on the floor and die because I'm sad. <laughs> so just, just be aware of that. That is going to happen. I will just die from being sad. Which, you know, mood, but... <laughs> you know, it's very forward thinking of... Uh, who was who, Lady who first wrote Beauty and the Beast? It was... Uh, Villeneuve. Yeah, Villeneuve. Very forward thinking of Villeneuve. To have a guy die of sadness, because usually it's the women dying from being too sad. It's true. Yeah. Instead, this is just like, this is just a sad monster. He's just a bit mm-hmm. sad sack, and he just falls down right there on the floor when she leaves, and just like stops eating right there. So it's like, <laughs> all right, man. Uh, he also gives her like a magic ring that she's supposed to turn around and like do that, and, and like that will magically instantly send her home because travel montages are terrible. <laughs> uh Beauty either just sort of gets so wrapped up in being a good, dutiful daughter to Papa that she forgets to come back on the appointed time, or her sisters trick her or something, uh, and then uh, she misses the window, she comes back, uses the ring, and there he is, he's, di- he's dead, he's dying of sad, uh, and she's like, no, well, I guess you weren't so bad, maybe I will marry you, and then he, you know, comes back to life, surprise, he's a prince. And then they get married or something, and, like, it's... There are so many weird variations on this. You could also say that this is maybe just a source of the Eros and and, uh, and Psyche myth. Uh, or sometimes also, I think in more, like... Uh, I forget what region that's from. But you also see this in East of the Sun, West of the Moon, uh, with yeah. the Eros and Psyche and a polar bear. Yeah, and... Um... Or when we did it, a big snow leopard. Yeah, when we set it in Mongolia. There's also King Lindworm. Where the prince is either a dragon or a snake, and because the the Slavs are the most metal out there, um, the Russian version, as recorded by Alexander Afanasyev, involves a three-headed winged snake. Listen. <laughs> Three tongues. <laughs> <laughs> Maurice, eight legs! <laughs> Seven, seven vaginas. vaginas. <laughs> Maybe more. I have a screen cap of that on my fucking desktop right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I also know a little bit about um, Beauty and the Beast origin stories because I took one fairy tales class in university, so I'm an expert now. Um, <laughs> but I remember that our class got into a heated debate as to whether the original moral of the fairy tale was either don't judge a book by its cover or just shut up and marry the guy that's what you're supposed to do as an 11-year-old girl. And basically boiled down to how cynical do you think they were in like the past France? <laughs> I think, like, I think I kind of err on the side of a lot of these tend to be like, well, arranged marriages aren't so bad if you look at it. But I also think that, like, a lot of what you have to do as as someone who looks at older fairy tales is, you know, not sort of a death of the author-esque thing, or at the very least saying that I I choose to ascribe some of my own meaning to this in the same way that 
you know, you kind of have to look at the same as, say, the rape of Persephone myth. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, when rape meant kidnapping and not other stuff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and then another one I think about is Bluebeard, which I think even when it like was first popularized way back then, it was up to interpretation where there were a lot of people who said, oh, well, it's the girl's fault because she should have listened to her husband and not gone into his torture room. And then other people are saying, no, the lesson is you should not You should make sure you're not marrying your daughters off to serial killers. Yeah, because one of the inspirations was allegedly Gilles de Rey, a known serial killer. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, that, that, that's, that's probably, probably uh, dudes to avoid, I would say. Yeah. And then you get into modern interpretations of the Disney version where it's like, actually, the beast is an incel and Belle has Stockholm Syndrome, which is seven different layers of wrong and dumb. And people who work for Disney need to not be on Twitter so much. (laughs) Don't read the comments. Don't read the comments. (sighs) Belle is good, actually. I will die on this hill. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll do it. I'll die on the hill that Emma Watson uh, met, hit her mark on during I Want Adventure in the Great White Somewhere and just sat there, dead inside. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Of course, they cast Emma Watson, who wasn't given enough vocal training for singing. At all. At all. At all. At all. Because they- she had been Hermione. There's a direct line of Belle to Hermione and back to Belle. Like, look, Paige O'Hara is a really tough act to follow. Paige Mm -hmm. O'Hara is an incredible singer. But you could have at least cast someone who had prior vocal, like, like singing experience. And it's not that hard with Hollywood. There's a lot of them. So many of them can sing. Mm. (laughs) And, you know, let's not forget the new gay LeFou. Yeah. Disney's what 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 was he like the 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 fourth first gay character? Yep. Ugh. Something like that. God. It really God God damn it. I'm still waiting for Disney to just like have two people of queer gender or the same gender just pin each other to the wall and start making out. There. <laughs> but that would be gay. <laughs> Look, China can do their own censorship. They have a ministry of propaganda already. <laughs> so does America. It's called the Walt Disney Corporation. It's fine. Just slap Winnie the Pooh on it. They'll just make it into a into like a, a strange void. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wendy X Tigger, don't like, don't read. <laughs> God. <laughs> Okay, so how do we how do we deal with the live action? Sorry, I'm just I'm just thinking about I'm just thinking about winning the poop ship now. I don't like this place that I'm at. (laughs) And Winnie X Tigger, no, Winnie X Voitech, the soldier bear. Look, look, clearly, clearly Tigger Rabbit is the superior Tigger ship. (laughs) (laughs) oh no enemies to lovers (laughs) it all started over the cabbages (laughs) that's not like I want you in my garden Baka (laughs) gosh 
hate this place that I'm in right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, father. <laughs> uh, anyway, Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> Different ship. Different ship. <laughs> <laughs> the only hats with rights. Unless... The thing is that the thing is that when it comes to like doing new Beauty and the Beast things, because everybody is so like dedicated to the Disney version, because that has reached such like public subconscious saturation point, everybody tries to like riff off of that. Like I have seen people uh, look at like, oh god, what was it, Beastly? <laughs> oh. What was what was the one where it was like a dude in a in like a, a rich high school who just got some like wicked tats on his face i think it's called beastly i yeah. think yeah. it's based off of like a ya novel or something yeah, yeah and he then got he just the punk rock like... curse and then like neil patrick harris plays his teacher his blind teacher to teach him that beauty's on the inside <laughs> like I, I i've seen people like say like oh this character is the lumiere or this character is the mrs potts which i, I feel is disingenuous because you're actually looking at like the staff, like the servants in in the house in the Beauty and the Beast version being inanimate objects is not only like answering the question of, so what the hell happened to everybody else who lived and worked there, which the original Mists were like, whatever, they're poor, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, but like that that's saying like, well, if they're not invisible servants, which they usually were, what are they then? They are literal objects that you, that you would ignore and assume that it was like a, a person who's not there or something. So it's not necessarily that you have to have a Lumiere or a Mrs. Potts or one of these uh, assigned Disney characters to, you know, have a Beauty and the Beast remake. Simply that it's easier if the Beast has somebody to bounce off of, because otherwise he's just sitting there being really boorish and being like, Hey, so how's your soup? Yeah? Uh-huh. So, um, you want to get married? No? Okay. Yeah, it takes a certain person to be able to pull off a Byronic hero who doesn't really do a whole lot. <laughs> like, he is completely absent in all of the stories. He's absent every single day until dinner. She's just wandering around by herself. Sometimes yeah. she's given, like, exotic pets. <laughs> yeah, you'd think that she'd at least be given something to do. But then again, I'd be adapting Jane Eyre at that point. <laughs> <sighs> oh, God, the Brontes just go so hard all the time mm-hmm i do love them but yeah so like you kind of have to start with like that's sort of the central question when you're when you're sort of making your own beauty and the beast version right is what the hell is beauty doing all day mm-hmm because otherwise your protagonist is just sort of wandering around looking at runes and yeah. you know while i also love watching like trashy daytime tv show lifestyles of the rich and famous <laughs> That's not really a, a, a feasible plot. N no. No. Um, I mean, I think the Disney version got it right. Like, even if she didn't have servants to bounce off of, that she ends up... It starts with her nursing him back to health after the wolf attack, and then they like, start to learn more about each other and sing about it. Yeah, you definitely have to have that. And I think you also have to have... You have to have that same kind of, like, spark of curiosity, right? You'd have to have her actually want to, like, get into stuff and see what's going on. To, to have that thirst for adventure that translates into a thirst for a large monster man. Exactly. Yeah, and going back to the whole Cupid and Psyche thing, one of the 
big plot points is the whole curiosity about who the mysterious sitter is mm-hmm. and somebody in the protagonist's family usually either the jealous sister or the worried mother is like okay i'll give you a candle so that you can look upon his face in the middle of the night and then oh whoops candle axe is on him and now he's gone like can we just can we just say like the 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 family members of psyche are the bad guys who are like (laughs) so every single night some dude creeps into your bed huh And you're not supposed to ask any questions about that? Huh? <laughs> those are the bad guys in the story. Yeah, yeah. Well, Aphrodite then proves to be the big bad. Well, obviously. But, yeah. I mean, there's no getting around that. No. <laughs> Tis a Greek myth. <laughs> um, We could have the servants, similar to the beast, just get turned into a variety of forest critters. I have seen some picture book versions like that, yeah. Um, it was like, it was one where beauty would essentially, I remember I remember these illustrations being actually really good because they would have uh, situations where beauty would sort of just be illustrated wandering around the castle with a whole bunch of animals who would be wearing little coats. Uh, and there would be like paintings or mosaics in the background showing these these animals as like actual people and have little, little like encouragements along like, along the side of the mosaic of like, be brave beauty so i mean you, you can definitely have like wait hold on are we talking wacky animal sidekicks or just like animals because disney uh, can do both can do both and yeah. people would expect either one you could have a rapping dog <laughs> Oof. they can rap it's it's how on a scale from one to the rapping dog from the animated Titanic movie, how far you want to go here? <laughs> oh, also, please p- please tell me which time period this takes in, because I keep wanting to say ancient France, and I know that's wrong. <laughs> ancient France? I don't know why, but that just delights me. Um, <laughs> ancient France is Gaul, ruled, ruled by the Romans. <laughs> uh, yeah, th- that's why I know it's wrong. Uh... I mean, the earliest published versions uh, are usually in, like, the 18th or 19th century. Okay, uh, yeah, so I don't think the French were rapping back then. I would actually say earlier, I want to say Beaumont was 17th century? Okay, well, in that case, are we going with France? Because there's a whole thing that you need to plan around with that one. Mm-hmm. There, there's a whole revolution or you could go earlier and deal with stuff like the front or the wars of religion mm. or you could just give out on europe entirely yeah or you could just you know wave your hand and say i don't know fantasy someplace <laughs> i mean there's like chinese version there's three chinese versions oh nice there's several North American versions, several Central and South American versions, and a version from Java. I looked up the 2014 version of Beauty and the Beast. Why? Uh, the Why French did you one. Do that to yourself? The French one. Oh, okay. Uh, not the not the Disney remake. The Jean Cocteau remake. Oh, right. Uh, that one's Hello. like two hours long, isn't it? 
maybe I'm I'm just looking at pictures, and what what I'm gleaming is that um, Beast is just a big anthro lion, and I'm here for it. If that's the one I'm thinking of, there's like a climax at the end with gigantic statues that come to life and attack a hunting party or something. That that does make sense because the the original 1946 one, I think their explanation for the servants was like they all got turned into statues and stuff that were like occasionally animated. Right, like yeah. the, the candelabra arms. Mm-hmm. That one did not end up being as good as you would think. It was also really big about like a heart, like like a like just a, a hunt of like a, a gold heart or a silver heart or something. Hmm. Unfortunately, it had a really big budget. Honestly, you could always go the route of something more like uh like uh I am dragon. Either of y'all seen that one? Um, I don't think I've even heard of that. Uh that was let me just pull up the info about that one. That is a 2015 film. Uh, it is uh, Russian, I think. Um, but essentially, there's like there's a uh, brides are offered up as sacrifices to a large dragon who's actually a wyvern. If we're gonna be real, he doesn't have four arms. He's got two. He's got two back legs and wings. But uh, like. And the dragon will drag off these these brides off to like a, a like a rock in the middle of the sea. Except it turns out, oh no, he's actually a hot boy who turns into a dragon. Uh, and she spends a lot of time like she's kind of whiny at the very beginning, but she actually ends up being like a really active protagonist of like, well, shit, fine, I'll just get out of here myself. And when that doesn't quite work, she's like, well, fine, I'm just gonna make this horrible cave actually a nice place to live. And like. I'm going to learn how to fish and to sew and to cook and clean and do all these things to make my life livable. And also, this hot boy can be here, too. But it turns out I'm not afraid of the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> now, that does kind of sound like King Lindworm, which is like the Danish version of Beauty and the Beast and involves giant snake and is kind of kinky. I can imagine. Lots of whipping. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> You know, some folks know what they like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to close this tab. I'm looking at the male lead of that film and I'm getting distracted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> also, this hot boy can be here. And what? He turns into a dragon that you can ride? Well, <laughs> sign me up. It's just the whole, the whole castle gets turned into beasts and then everyone in the village can get their own personal monster lover. <laughs> Say. Now we're on to something. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that does lead to one of sort of the principal issues, right? Is like, is the sort of everyone who works in the castle gets, gets like cursed as well because the prince was a jerk. It doesn't really matter how the prince was a jerk, just that he was a jerk. But everybody who works there is somehow guilty by association, which sucks. So unless they, your whole castle is full of jerks. Jerk. They allowed him to corrupt to be a jerk. <sighs> I mean, uh. sure, sometimes, but then you get into like the like the, the 2014 Disney version that was like, yeah, me, the 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 maid allowed this prince to be a jerk, even though he was a even though he's royalty and I'm poor and there's a power imbalance and he could just order my head chopped off at any given time. Well, see, the composer was the worst one because he made him hate Christmas. Santa. <laughs> 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 oh god. Oh. 
Listen, when I was little, we didn't have Beauty and the Beast, but we had Enchanted Christmas. Oh, no! Oh, no! So that was the one that I watched for a week. Oh, no! At least my parents had the decency of getting me both Beauty and the Beast and Enchanted Christmas, and then we'd inevitably wind up watching Die Hard anyway. Yippee ki Maestro Forte. <laughs> the important thing is that we all agree that Bell's Enchanted Christmas is not a Christmas movie. It is a punishment. No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Beauty anyway, and the Beast. So, 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 far, so far what we've first established is for Beauty and the Beast, <laughs> the remake, is, is that... just make it a little bit hornier. You have to have the option where the beast stays a monster at the end, because it's always (laughs) disappointing when he turns back into a dude. (laughs) Greta Garbo, during the premiere of the 46 version, once stood up at the end and is like, where has my beast gone when (laughs) he turned back into Jean Marais? (laughs) Look how they massacred my boy. (laughs) I'm just saying that Guillermo del Toro did prove that there is, in fact, a paying audience where the monster is just a monster. Yeah. <laughs> Give del Toro Beauty and the Beast remake. Oh. I want to see that. Yeah. So we make it hornier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now is Beauty on a quest to fuck this beast or what? <laughs> no, she wasn't at first, but then something awakened in her. There's something there that wasn't there before. Exactly. (laughs) Look, Disney owns half of Hollywood. They could just put it under a different label. You mean you mean like 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 the like the DC black label where you see (laughs) Batman's penis? (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of tangents I can go off of that. I'm physically trying to hold myself back to say what I want to say. No, I'm not going to say that. Instead, I'm going to say Disney used to have a bunch of other, like, sub-studios where they could just put their hornier stuff. And they're like, no, everything has to be Disney. Everyone has to know that this is Disney, and Disney means family. Like, I know that Miramax did have the taint of Harvey Weinstein, but they really do need a Miramax. Yeah. Or a touchstone. Or a touchstone, yeah. Uh, don't say that too, though. They'll just buy more studios. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. no, like, I'm not saying buy another studio. I'm saying divide yourself. At least a little. I know you want the Oscar bait. Just a skosh. Like, right now, it's like ESPN and Nat Geo. <laughs> yep. In In 20 years, all the Oscar baits are going to be Disney superhero movies, Warner Brothers superhero movies, and Bloomhouse. <laughs> That's implying a lot more genre, th- a-, a lot more genre movies than the Academy, I think, is willing to entertain, though. But that's all there's gonna be left. But those little fucks have got to start dying soon. It doesn't matter if it's all, if it's only ever going to be genre movies. The Academy will scrape the bottom of the barrel to find some movie that says, but what if war was bad? <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's in French. <laughs> and they'll give it a whole bunch of awards. Is that what our remake is? <laughs> what if With- war is bad? No, that's just a Miyazaki movie. <laughs> so live action or animated? I'm guessing live action. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the thing is that, like, it depends on whether or not you want it to be animated. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on whether or not you want it to have songs in it, because... You know, generally speaking, animation sells, like, musicals much better than live action does, at least in film. On stage, that's a completely different story. Yeah. And it doesn't help that, again, Disney has decided, we're not doing 2D animation anymore, you motherfuckers. (laughs) Unless, like, that and with, like, monster designs, you can go real hard in, like, in animation because you don't have to worry about really expensive budgets or putting somebody in a really embarrassing suit. Mm-hmm. Also, that I I don't know. Look, what what I'm what I'm trying to circle around to here is hire a better dress designer. Oh God, yes, those dresses were okay. The wedding dress was okay. Mm-hmm. Everything else was trash. That ballroom gown, though. Oh God, that was a travesty. <sighs> Give me my panniers. Just I'm sorry, if you're gonna have this set in high Rococo, you gotta go full... You gotta I know go full... Sounds... You gotta go full Rococo. There's, yeah. there's no other way around it. Yeah, hire the, hire the dress designer for Marie Antoinette, uh, Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette. Mm. And just, like, the philosophy of the entire set design was, like, Sofia Coppola comes to this costume designer with a box of macarons and is like, okay, we're <laughs> using these colors. <laughs> it's like, yes. So, Regardless of whether it's live action or animated, you need to make it big, you need to make it bright, you need to make it colorful, you need to make this feel like it is a strange dream space that you are in. Because it's an enchanted fucking castle. And don't think about it too hard. Just don't. Just don't. Just don't. Don't have the monster change back at the end. Because my god, I've read so many versions of Beauty and the Beast stories that are like... All right, pretty good. You got like a cool, I don't know, like devil monster man thing going on. And then he's like, actually, I was an angel the whole time. And you're expecting me to be into this now. No, man. Don't. No, man. You sold me on devil. You can't give me angel. (laughs) I know he can be either your devil or your angle, but I just want the one. Thanks. You're just pulling a bait and switch on me. Mm-hmm. Again, don't want Greta Garbo standing up in the middle of the of the theater going, Give me my beast back. Did we lose Tanner? Uh oh. Are they Maybe. still here? Uh they might have lost power because we got a thunderstorm moving through. Oh wait, yeah, no, they just messaged me. Marie! The baguettes! Hurry up! All right, and we're back. Uh, side B. <laughs> it's fine. It's definitely fine. Don't worry about it. It's definitely still the same day. It's one hundred percent fine. This is this is contiguous. Mm-hmm. The storm has passed. We're good. We're good. Mm-hmm. We're good. Literal storm. It's fine. Like as long as there's no tornado clouds and nothing touches down, we're fine. Look, as long as the sky's not green or yellow, you're good to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let it mellow. <laughs> so when we left off, we were talking about general Beauty and the Beast things. Um, I, I th- did think of something in the intermediate time. Something that I've had thought about for a little bit. Because everyone, 
Well, one of the people's favorite things to roll up in and say, actually, this is why Beauty and the Beast is bad, is mm-hmm. they call out, how could every single plate and every single piece of cutlery be its own individual being? It's a cartoon. Yeah. It's a TV show. You should really just relax. <laughs> but also, I've had a solution for this since I was little. Okay, okay. Let, let's hear your headcanon, because because the animated film does, in fact, need some headcanons to just sort of massage everything. We know this. Mm-hmm. They're flocks. It's... It's it's a hive mind. Multi- multiple sets of cutlery are inhabited by the same consciousness. And that's acceptable and not at all even more horrifying than a <laughs> one-to-one ratio for you. I mean, they're equally as bad. My thinking is just it makes more sense with the, like, staff requirements of this one little bastard boy's castle. Mm-hmm. Or maybe mm-hmm. the original human staff wasn't punished along with the little bastard prince, and instead, I don't know, maybe he already, he taught himself some magic and he was going a bit loco, so he's like, I'm just gonna enchant all of my cutlery and all of my furniture so that I have something to talk to. Look, if you're working along with the idea that, you know, he, that it has been more than a couple of years, more than ten years, disregarding lyrics, then, yeah, you've got room to massage that. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, what if what if the prince never had any servants, actually, and they were all started as objects, and then when the curse broke, they turned into people for the first time? Ooh. That would explain why their character designs are so completely different from everyone else's. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> why they map on so, so well to what the... what inanimate object they were. Hmm. Mm, mm. You know what? Let me just put invisible servants back on the table. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm fine with just magic servants. Just, I don't know. He had a grimoire. He found a grimoire. It's so fine. Honestly, I think it's always interesting to, like, introduce an element of, like, of additional magic within, like, the story of the framework. Just to say that, like, either that the beast is essentially testing the limits of his own curse or that, like, the, the beauty uh, character is someone who is interested in breaking the curse by magical means as well, or finding some alternate route that doesn't involve her getting married. Yeah. I think that was the route out Brooded went with. <laughs> what if, what if, now stop me if this is too Shrekky, but w- what if Belle's goal isn't necessarily to fall in love with the beast, but help the beast, like, reintegrate back into society? Because one of the reasons... The, maybe subtext, but also kind of text. One of the reasons he got cursed is because this kid has no social skills. He's a brat who just gets what he wants. <laughs> so what if she actually like starts trying to take him out into the town, the little quiet village? <laughs> it's like, now you stand here. We'll, we'll put a big hood over you. You stand here and watch as I like interact with people. You can I mean, learn at that point, how you're... to talk. You're basically working an extension there of the of the like let's throw snowballs and feed birds sequence. So <laughs> that all depends on whether or not in your version of Beauty and the Beast the uh the the there is some kind of like physical limitation because in a lot of versions essentially it's implied at the very least that he cannot leave the castle or manse or whatever you're working off of. Mm-hmm. Mostly that's just because, you know, he just doesn't leave. Either he'll be like I either I don't know it's really far away from everything or maybe the townsfolk will just sort of all go all torches and pitchforks and we don't like what we don't understand in fact it scares us in this monstrous series at least mm-hmm. 
But, you know, if you're saying that essentially he could leave, he just chooses not to, that's a character arc at least, saying that he's afraid and needs to be exposed to, like, normal human things. Mm-hmm. Actually, that, now that I think about it, that has multiple layers too, because you could also argue that even though he's cursed to be a beast, he still has all of his whims met at the castle, if he stays at the castle, because mm. all of his waitstaff is still there. That's true. It's a horrible comfort zone, but it is still his comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you you could break your curse if you actually, like, went out and talked to people and, like, learned how to be nice to strangers. And she acts like his wingman, because she's yes. like, well, look, if you need, like, to love and be loved in return, let's go meet some people. You gotta be social for this. Mm-hmm. Come mm-hmm. meet the parents. <laughs> Come meet my merchant inventor father. (laughs) (laughs) I do like the inventor angle they went with Belle's dad. It was cute. I mean, it's something different, if nothing else. And it kind of, I kind of got an idea. It is definitely inspired by Castlevania. But what if Belle went to the castle because, I don't know, there's something affecting the town. Or someone in her family's sick and... Maybe the rumors about who's living at the castle have morphed into, oh yeah, he's this powerful wizard monster sort of thing, kind of like Dracula. Or let's say there's only something that can cure her parent or family member or whatever that requires a very specific sort of rose, and there's rumors of a garden out there. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> so we foist the retrieval of the rose onto onto Beauty, not necessarily onto her father. Yeah. Okay gives her a bit more independence and a bit more of an incentive and maybe we can go into some of the lore the magic of our version of 17th mm-hmm. cent- or 18th and century and the meat fat. cute and the meat cute <laughs> and then maybe the conflict isn't the townspeople getting all up in arms about or maybe they do get all up in arms about the beast once they see his visage and uh, <laughs> Gaston convinces everybody that he's that he's a monster out to get them but like they capture her and use her as a hostage so it forces him out of his comfort zone. Hmm. I like the idea of him at some point using some of the relationships that he's that he's created over the over the course of like beauty assisting him and learning how to how to talk to other people and to have a social life using that to essentially like solve the conflict in act 3. Yeah. Yeah, like Gaston like rallies the mob and and then like the few people that the beast has ingratiated himself to, you know, the baker mm-hmm. with his bread like always. Uh, Marie the Baguettes. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually their surname. <laughs> that's how I've always referred to that character. That's just, that's him, Marie the Baguettes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've got ancestors with a name like that. And they were bakers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he has some allies. And can, yeah. this can yeah. help solve the problem by the end. Or maybe it's just even, like, the, the, the village is so prepared for him to be this horrible monster, and then when Gaston, like, drags him in irons to the town square and reveals him, and he's just this sad cat man, and everyone's like, oh no. <laughs> ooh <Ooh-woo. laughs> I mean, at the very least, that does, and, and the nice thing is that you can also still incorporate sort of the, the, the traditional story beat of the, well, I'll just be a sad sack then. Yes. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, he's got a mope. He's got to have some good mopes. He's, he's got a brood. Yeah. He's gotten to brood. <laughs> <laughs> 
yes, there's an important distinction between brooding and sulking. <laughs> exactly. We need we need to err more on the side of brood than sulk. Yes. I think it involves more of a scowl. Mm-hmm. It also it involves more compassion. He's like, <laughs> my life is terrible because Belle left me, but at least she's happy. Mm. Yeah, um, he mm. can't be an mm. egg. <laughs> so much i hate it i hate it i hate it i hate it i hate to bring up the live action film but i swear they overthought absolutely everything and like (laughs) underthought all of the other stuff yes you created an entire like you created this this entire idea around this town of being like actively furious about about women's literacy out of one single line uh, where the bad guy says it's not right for a woman to be to read then first then she starts getting ideas and thinking and if we're going with the supposed idea that beauty and the beast is set in 18th century france the female <laughs> literacy was like on the rise and was considered a very honest to god good pastime for the ladies then they're then they're quiet they're out of your hands yeah they're preoccupied they're totally not reading jean-jacques rousseau and denis de and Denis Diderot behind your back and getting <laughs> revolutionary ideas. Because, I mean, the thing is that, like, if you're going, if, if we want to go with this angle where it's more about, like, the town actually coming out and accepting this guy, then it's it's very much a matter of you have to actually humanize this town a little bit more, or at least give a reason why we might care about their opinions. Even if it's only, like, a small handful of people, they have to stand in as large a representatives of sort of sectors of the town. Yeah. And, like, maybe, I don't know, if we don't have a specific time period, maybe it's, there's people in the town old enough to remember what the princely family was like prior to the curse. Right. There's the crux of the issue. How long has it been since the curse? Yeah. What has gone on? Because it's a bit easier to justify the anti-prince sentiment if this is, like, post-revolutionary France. And this was an area that was very anti-aristocratic, or maybe the aristocrat backed the wrong side in the initial power grabs. Or if you're just completely unmooring it from a historical point, you're saying that you need to have at least a couple of generations for this town's industry to be more self-sufficient outside of that being, like, essentially going through a castle or some kind of local liege lord. Yeah. Like, there's some level of industrialization, probably, so there's a fairly well-established merchant class let's say mm-hmm. it could be uh if we want to go Lindsay, with your castlevania route uh beastlevania that <laughs> the castle like just kind of exists a little bit outside of time so it's been 10 years for the beast but like 50 years for the town oh yeah right the localized time slowdown version is is usually a fairly palatable one yeah mm-hmm. like it's used in sleeping beauty a lot with the whole castle's put under a curse for a hundred years but everybody inside that castle basically is frozen mm-hmm. and that and that version if you're if you're sort of harkening back to the animated film is a lot more palatable when you're looking at the essentially like the portrait of the prince that is the prince as an adult man uh so 
you know, you kind of have to be like, so 10 years, like, was he a child or has he just been an adult man for 10 years? Or what are we doing here? We're not talking about <laughs> Bill's enchanted Christmas flashback where he's just like a weird little 11 year old boy saying, where's my presents? <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> we can't do it. We cannot do it. No. Especially if there has to be a birthday time deadline here. The time slow, the localized time slowdown version is definitely the, uh, the easiest one to get along with in your own personal headcanon. Yeah. <laughs> it solves everything. It can still be a time limit. Like, maybe the beast was 15 or 16 when he got cursed, and so it's been 10 years for him. And it can still be like you have until the last petal on the rose falls. Just like the rose petals are taking forever to fall, but, but still, Beast, you could have manifested your castle at any point and learned how to be a decent person, but it took until Belle showed up and robbed your garden <laughs> for you to think, hey, what if? What if I was self-sufficient? What if you left the goddamn castle every once in a while, my dude? Beast, go touch some grass. <laughs> Beast, can we just take you out of the castle so you can touch some grass? Oh my god, if the, ca if the curse got cast on him at 16, I just imagine... If this was set in the modern period, he'd have an Xbox, and that's what he's been doing for the past ten <laughs> years instead of soul-searching. He's really, really good at Halo. Yes. Put the beast in Fortnite. <laughs> oh, God. The problem is that, like, you know, they closed down the servers, like, forever ago, so he's made all the staff learn how to play Halo, too. <laughs> <laughs> Endless tourneys. <laughs> In, instead of a clock, Cogsworth is a Wi-Fi router. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Poor thing. <laughs> oh, God. There's a, there's, a, there's a living gamer chair. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Oh, Potts this... is like a Mountain Dew vending machine. <laughs> oh, God. We can't do this. We can't make this. We can't make this about rehabilitating a gamer. I cannot. I can't. <laughs> I can't have sympathy for a gamer. <laughs> no, 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 no. We'll set it in vaguely 18th century France. <laughs> oh, God. Can't do it. Angela Lansbury, the Mountain Dew vending machine. <laughs> Chip a little can of Baja Blast. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't. I cannot walk down this road. It's a guess. It's it's a guess that was fast. So it's live in Baja Blast. Dude's been told and thank the lord I bought the Fortnite season pass. Okay, Tanner, you're gonna break our guess. I am trying <laughs> to restrain myself from throwing things directly at my screen. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll stop because this, this isn't my podcast where I break people. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I think that's most of the conflict. It's just like, is this live action or is this animated and can we do this 2D animated? I mean, why the hell not? All I would say is that if it's 2D animated, uh, it'd be someone other than Disney, because otherwise it's just going to be too similar. Yeah. I mean, they don't need to do anything with that project at this point right now. They've already got they've already got the uh, the new IP sort of 
refresh going there. They're good. Yeah. Yeah. See, and I think I think we could do this live action and it would still look good. Mm-hmm. Because we'd, like, pay the people properly and have a good creative director. Hmm. It's really all about costuming and a good script. Mm-hmm. Puppets. Muppets. Muppet Beauty and the Beast. You just gotta make sure the monster's hot. Yes. This is true. <laughs> so it can't just be Sweetums. <laughs> it can't just be Sweetums. Sweetums is a very nice man. <laughs> but Sweetums is not my personal definition of what constitutes hot. <laughs> Someone out there is horny for Sweetums and I salute them. But it is not me. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we could put uh, Doug Jones into a lot of hair. All right, all right, Guillermo. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Guillermo, whose solution to everything is let's call up my good friend Doug Jones and put him in a fuck suit. <laughs> let's just get Doug on camera, bring him down to the studio, and he can do the hand thing. <laughs> Um, I was actually going to say Doug Jones, if we do some fun perspective stuff, Doug Jones could be Lumiere. Oh, I mean, look, the problem is that if you're not really, if you're not taking advantage of the fact that Doug Jones is like nine feet tall, (laughs) then you're just not really doing a good service with your Doug Jones usage. Well, I would argue that taking nine foot tall Doug Jones and making a one foot tall (laughs) candelabra would be funny. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's fair. And honestly, he is the more willowy body type for that sort of character. Because mm-hmm. the only tall person I can think of from Beauty and the Beast, other than the Beast, is the wardrobe. Gaston was pretty big. Mm-hmm. And there was this whole song about it, actually. <laughs> Doug Jones and the Doug Jones prosthetics, but he is just Gaston. <laughs> so, like, a buff Doug Jones. Exactly. I mean, my choice was Henry Cable because honestly, he's better at playing roguish archetypes anyway. That's true. I just don't think you could have a Doug Jones who's roughly the size of a barge. <laughs> That's what the makeup's <laughs> for. Mm. Mm. Can't can't you just find somebody who's already got good titty though? <laughs> <laughs> Chris Evans. I was about to say. Every square inch of him's got to be covered with hair. It's right there. It's in the contract. Yeah. Just let him grow out his hair. Mm-hmm. Also teach him how to spit. Mm-hmm. That part's also important. Because frankly, you just cannot... I, I just don't believe in anyone's ability to really CGI in someone who's just very good at expectorating. Mm-hmm. Gotta be taught. Yep. Taught and practice. Gotta be able to hit that spittoon. Ten points for Gaston. What if, for the beast, John Boyega? Oh. I'm listening. John Boyega's the beast. That's that's the whole thought. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but what 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 prosthetics? What are we talking? The good ones. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. What what um, kinds? He's got a mostly predominantly cat man with some little hornsies. A big no. Okay. Got to be bigger horns. Got to be big horns. Full ram's horns. Yes. Yep. Gotta be something you can hold on to. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what are we talking for teeth? Are we talking fangs? Are we talking tusks? Are we talking both or neither? Um, I'm thinking... Full set of of pointies? Uh, Full set of pointies when he wants to show them, but otherwise they're just cute little fangs. 
I see you're going you're going in for cute here. You just I feel like you're misunderstanding the assignment here, Tanner. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> Belle's got to look at that monster and be like, hmm. <laughs> "Listen, you can see all the sharp teeth when he smiles." Hmm. Actually, she'd be like, "Hmm, interesting though." I wonder if he wants to file down his sharp claws. Maybe just a couple digits? Hmm. Maybe let me comb out that mane of his so it isn't as matted. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And then it turns out to be very luscious. And it's just, it's nice and soft. Mm-hmm. Good for cuddling. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. <laughs> Keep you warm on those cold winter nights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, now we're on the right track. <laughs> Who's the... Who is the young ingenue of today? The mid to late 20s ingenue of, of today? Anya Taylor-Joy. Yes. The, you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> what if... What if Belle was played by Macy Williams? So we can also get the massive height difference going on. Because she's 5'1". The height difference part's important. <laughs> I, d- I do feel like the fact that mm-hmm. she was a head shorter than Gendry was one of the main like engines in that ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> High difference is very important. Yes. Especially when one of them's mm-hmm. a big monster. Mm-hmm. You see, Tanner is about six foot, so I don't think they can fully appreciate what it's like being a short person admiring a very tall person. Lindsay! Mm-hmm. Lindsay, once again, you forget that we both went to school with Mitchell. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. He was a tree. How how tall are we talking? Six, seven. Mm. <laughs> I came up to his elbow. Oh boy. He 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 showed up suddenly as the manager of the restaurant that on the New Year's Eve that I had chosen to get drunk for the first time in. And I turned to my friends and I said, That's Mitchell! I wanna climb him like a mountain. You know, legit, as 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 a five foot four person, legit. Mm-hmm. And see, that that's the problem, is that it is very hard to... I, I want the relationship where I can tuck my head underneath someone else's head, and that's very difficult for me to accomplish. <laughs> I have a lot of sympathy for you. Uh, being able for being able to tuck your head under someone else's is pretty choice. It almost makes up for having to keep someone else around to reach the high shelves. <laughs> mm-hmm. See, that's why they hired me at the grocery store, so I can reach the high shelves. Uh, that's You provide a valuable service to the society. Yeah. It's probably a lot safer than me having to climb like a monkey to rat- to reach into the back of the freezer for the little old lady. <laughs> One of my friends is talking about, like, you know, perpetually talks about getting top surgery. They're as tall as I am. And I'm like, listen, you, you, wanna- you want me to hang out with you post-surgery? Post I can do that. I'll reach the high things for you. Finally, someone will ask me to get something on a shelf and I'll smile smugly and say, let me get the footstool. <laughs> Uh, yes. What must it be to be one of the talls? It's a rarefied air. Though I do feel mm. sorry for uh, there was this one guy in basic training who was the tallest. It was always the mark when we had to like stand for our parades, and he was always the one who was like, <laughs> "Hey, could you turn on the projector?" Because he was like a seven foot tall Romanian. <laughs> it's important. It's important. <laughs> so clearly, what we're saying is that the beast has to be at least six foot seven. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Bell is ideally somewhere in the you no know, taller than five six range. I think that's fair. You want you want a full you want a full foot. Mm-hmm. 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 
you want to be able to at least have the ha- have the shorter one be able to look the taller one directly in the boob. <laughs> just just lean that face in. Mm. Does it mean she'll have to be on the scully boxes for the entire filming? Maybe. But you know what? You can adapt. Adapt. Overcome. Sometimes you gotta just make these sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Monster has digitigrade legs, then they stand up on, uh, then they then they can just sort of stand up even taller sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I, I did check, and Maisie Williams is like 5'1", but John Boyega is 5'7". Mm. Movie magic. Yes, I was gonna say movie magic. Yeah. It's just about getting that camera nice and low. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe some platform mm-hmm. shoes. Yeah. Green screen platform shoes so that we can like put in the digigrade. Oh yeah. Well I mean you remember the uh the sort of suit that Doug Jones had when he was doing Pan in uh in, in, oh, um, yes, in yes. Pan's Labyrinth. Oh yeah. Yeah, like with there was just sort of the, the full digitigrade like thing there and they just sort of green screened out his feet. Mm-hmm. And then we can have fun with the beast's feet, like it could be Wink. lion feet, <laughs> or it could be like uh, I don't know, bison hooves, maybe some talons, maybe some talons. We got some options. Oh my god, we can make him a bird man. Could make him a bird man. Are we? T- do we want wings or no? Because flying is always fun. Being yeah, no, being carried in the arms <laughs> of of the monster while you're flying. That's always some good shit. <laughs> I mean, quite often he's depicted with, like, that hunch underneath the cloak, and we could reveal that that's not like a bison hunch or anything. No, those are his wingies. Mm-hmm. His beautiful wings that he's never flown with because he's too ashamed of them. But your wings are beautiful. Just like you. <laughs> and then at the end, it, it, we will go full Shrek, where it'll be like, the curse is lifted, but he looks the same, and he's like, but I'm supposed to be beautiful. And Belle's like, you are beautiful. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. What you have to do, like... You are 100% doing this where the beast stays the same at the end because it's not because it's never quite been about like being a hot guy. It's been about self-acceptance this whole time. And you know, being a good person, which does not require you to be a human. But also the enchantress was just trying to facilitate the beast figuring his shit out and the be- she foresaw the best route for that to happen was if he became a hot jumbled up furry. <laughs> she sat there like freaking Doctor Strange going through all the possible timelines and is like, there's only one good timeline. (laughs) Of course, you can always just, if you want to get like kind of cerebral, you could always say that essentially the form is something that is uh, metaphorical and also self-inflicted in terms of seeing oneself as monstrous and hideous and not to be loved and sort of having a curse sort of do weird things to reflect that but that depends on exactly how cerebral you want to go with this and how much time you want to leave for monster hot though <laughs> monster hot though <laughs> there there are several layers to this sort of thing mm-hmm. i this was a silly thing to look up but i did check to see if greta garbo was still with us unfortunately she is not yeah so we're gonna have a greta garbo look like in the background just be like yes <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I think we've invented a beast. Yeah. Um, are there any head cannons we need to weave in here to make it uh, float? Uh, let's see. Well, you can start nailing down details if you're so inclined of exactly the length of time at which she stays in the castle. Um... See, I, I was going to think that maybe she never really stays, but 
if we're going with like she needs the rose to help her dad she has to like go back every day to get a new rose and like mm. every time she stays a bit longer and stays a bit longer and eventually the beast is like your dad must be very ill and she's like actually he was cured like a month ago and he's like oh no mm. no no i like that i like that mm-hmm. though how long essentially how long does this romance last how long does it take because we're not doing a couple of days here. We're not doing, like, less than a week. Oh, yeah. This is this is a slow burn. It's got to be a slow burn. Yeah, we've got to montage through a couple things. We need, a, we need to leave room for an enchanted Christmas. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? Yeah, if we're saying that there's some point where somebody gets captured or, bl- or drug out, we're essentially covering the, uh, the story beat with sort of the absence from the castle leading to Beast to die of sad sack. Uh, where do we land on siblings? Unnecessary for this version? Uh, yeah, I think this one, yeah. the, the siblings would take away a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you can pretty much easily just fill that space in with, you know, townsfolk. Because maybe she actually has, like, some friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe she's friends with the three bimbos. <laughs> <laughs> well, then that also ties into, like, sort of saying that this is a story more about finding a place in a community rather than, you know. Yeah. I was I was gonna suggest that Gaston doesn't realize that, like, Gaston is the only one who thinks Gaston is hot shit. Hmm. Well, I can see this town kind of coming under the spell of the local town jock who, in a metaphorical sense, kind of peaked in high school but hasn't realized it yet. It's Gaston and his band of incels. Like, if we said this in, like, small-town America, he would have become, like, the town sheriff. Well, that's sort of the thing, though. He'd be the sheriff's shitty son. Exactly. See, that's the angle, though, that if you're going to have any kind of uh, story where the theme is more focused around community and, like, the actual town being sort of part of a larger cast of characters that we're focusing on, then you would definitely want to, in in order to still have sympathetic characters with reasonable motivations, you would probably want to at least instill some kind of sense of fear of reprisal and essentially say that the that your sort of antagonistic character, your Gaston adjacent, is going to be probably someone who holds a lot of political power in the town anyway. Mm-hmm. Either a mayor or some kind of lawkeeper or like someone's son or someone that you don't want to cross necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're not saying that like, and you know, you can also say that that's just friendly local small town cowardice, which is totally fine. You still want to have like a multifaceted sort of overall community as a character. Mm-hmm. So you would probably want to make him like a sheriff's son or a mayor's son or a mayor or a sheriff or what have you. Someone who, you know, is a pillar of the community that you don't necessarily want to cross. Yeah. Until we all cross him together. Yeah. And then you and then you have your, your nice little I am Spartacus moment. Yes. Because just because it's a trope doesn't mean it's not satisfying. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Also, let's face it, me personally... I'm a huge sucker for the moment in the anime where everybody you've helped comes back to help you out at the end. Yeah. It's good. It's good, actually. It is good. <laughs> I do like the power of friendship. <laughs> the power of friendship's a good one, mm. actually. Hmm. All right. I think I think that yeah. does wrap this up pretty well, though. Yeah. I feel satisfied. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay. So in that case, uh, I am going to invite you to relax. Let us pull up a chair as the podcast proudly presents a friendship promo. Jesus Christ.
Are you strung out on streaming? Did Netflix and chill turn into boring and ill? Well, fear not, neighbor. We got what you need. That's right. Your local video store is here to save the day. We got all the tapes and laser discs you never knew you wanted. That's right. And thanks to modern technology and a 56 kilobyte DSL line, we are able to make film recommendations via the information superhighway, the internet. Yes. Each month, we pick a random caller seeking help from our trained staff to find a film that meets their search criteria, such as... Horror films directed by a woman with no nudity. Killer doll movies not made by Charles Band. Even Easter-themed horror films and children with magic. We can help you find what you're looking for. Can you help me find Jesus? No, but we can find you religious films not featuring Jesus. So tune in each week and we'll help you find what it is you're looking for. Find us where all popular podcasts are found, even live recorded video from our store. Support your local video store and earn a free bag of popcorn when you sign up for a Videorama membership. Welcome Welcome to to Videorama! Awesome. Well, Annie, thank you for being our guest, being our guest. Putting our podcast to I the am test. Going to do such violence. I will visit such violence upon your person. <laughs> Delightful. So say, where can you be found on the internet? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you can find me personally on Twitter at Anniezard. That's A-N-N-I-E-Z-A-R-D. Yes, like Charizard with Annie in front of it. Uh, you can also find all of my shows uh, and most of the things that I participate in online at Crooked Russian Cam. Our Twitter account is uh, CRC Podcasts with plural. Uh, you can also find information about our shows on our website, crookedrussiancam.horse or crookedrussiancam.gay. Either one of those, we just kind of call it the old dot gay horse. <laughs> uh, we have. I Will Fight You, which is our show where we do uh, more pop culture kind of stuff. It tends to run the gamut as to the actual topic. Uh, our uh, video series where we do date sims called Date Me Damn It, and also our uh, <laughs> previously alluded to uh, Spelljammer 5E uh, actual play show, Gem Jammer, which is incredibly gay in its very space. <laughs> and yes, for those of you who are monster lover aficionados, it got monster boys in it. Woo! Love triangle with implications that it's actually triangle shaped. Wink. <laughs> awesome. Um, Lindsay, where can you be found? I can be found on Twitter at lindsaym476. That's Lindsay spelled with an A, and you can get to all my other social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at SparkyUpstart and Instagram at SparkyYoungUpstart. You can also find this very podcast on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod. Those are the letters for Not If I Reboot You First, and they're pronounced, Enough, I'm done! Uh, you can also send us an email at notifyrebootyoufirst at gmail.com, or you can send us your comments, critiques, criticisms, and your favorite animated object that might be an actual person servant. That's highly specific. <laughs> Chilling. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, that's also where you could send us a friendship promo, be it an audio clip or a proof for us to read. Either way, we'll put in a free ad for your podcast or YouTube or even your DeviantArt. Not if I reboot you first as a member of the Corner Podcast Network, and you can talk about this show or others on the network via our Corner Podcast Discord. 
Our cover art, as always, is by Alex, aka Pachu, and her work can be found on ptchew.com. And our theme music is done by our friend Sean Clake, and you can contact us to find out how to contact him if you'd like music of his own for your own. This podcast is recorded on Treaty 4 territory, the traditional territory of the Cree and Sultal, Assiniboine, and Métis. And last but not least, don't forget that you can buy this episode for yourself. It is not an NFT, it is just your name on a spreadsheet, but for a $5 donation to the North Central Family Center, there is a local, uh, there's a link in the description, it is a local charity for me and Lindsay and Regina, we will declare that you are the owner of this podcast episode, or any episode that you so desire. So Tanner. So Lindsay, um, next week is another People's Choice episode, after the, after the big shuffle, um... So we are, if, if everyone knows, if you look at the polling results, we're going to be doing Rat Race next week. But I think I'm going to mix it up a little bit, uh, and I'm going to hide that episode underneath a big W. Okay. Uh, so once again, Annie, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Yay! It was a pleasure to have you. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be racing to next week, but not if we reboot you first. Bye. Goodbye. Did I get the right Emma there? Yes, okay, it was great. Emma Watson. Emma Watson is Belle, Emma Stone is Cruella. She's going to become the Cruella. <laughs> <laughs>